Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're doing On David Maester and his book, True Professionalism, published in 1997. Hey, Ed, how's it going? Ron, 25 years ago. Imagine that. Unbelievable. You know, this really took me back looking at, I've actually got the hardcover copy of this. Oh, do you? I've got softcover, but okay. Okay. That I read in May, uh, was probably soon after it came out. I know for a fact that I was in negotiations with Harcourt Brace at this time, trying to get my book contract, Okay. which I think happened later that year. So this, this had some impact on me. I mean, I definitely got got a lot out of this. I think by far this is his best book. Yes. Well, um, let's talk about, for those that don't know, who the heck is David Meister? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was a Harvard business professor yep. who specialized in professional firms. And mm-hmm. I think he kind of owned that niche for a long time. I don't, I can't think of any other Harvard professor that, that dealt exclusively in that arena. Today, I think it, it's, it's much more professors oh, in that space. But I think for a while, he might have been the only one or one of a handful. I, well, he certainly was the, the the most influential. And I think part of it was because Tom Peters quote often quoted him when mm-hmm. he was when, when Peters was on the circuit and writing his books. So he was Maesters was, was his go to person on service organizations. So I think that really, really impacted his his career in book sales. So. Yeah, and Peters really did admire professional service firms. I don't know if it was because of his time at McKinsey, but he thought that they did some things right, which, which I agree with. They do. Yeah, no, and in fact, there's a couple. There's a series of books that I still refer people to: the the, the, mm. the PSF fifty, yes. the the Brand U fifty, and the Project Management fifty. I think is the the, mm. the third one. Then they're still available. Small little books that yep. that that, that uh, you, you can get a feel for what Peters is talking about and really to me the the first ever social media book is the brand new 50 brand, brand and it you, doesn't yeah. mention social media right right that was that was <laughs> that was a while ago too come to think oh, of yeah. it yeah. yeah it was probably early 2000s the other thing that struck me about this ad was just that i don't think you could say some of the things today that he says in this book i agree i agree uh, i mean he comes right out on like very opening and says, you know, do it and we'll pay you smacks mm-hmm. more of prostitution than a professionalism. I have that, that highlighted as, as well, right? <laughs> you know, faking sincerity is a prostitute tactic, not a professional tactic. Um, and he used that all the time. When I, I only saw him a couple times live speaking, mm-hmm. one was at AICPA. And I remember, and we'll talk about this because there's, there's something I love in the book. Um, and somebody challenged him about, well, I, hey, David, I can't love all my clients. I, that's Pollyannish. And uh, he said, you know, uh, but they pay me. And he just 
came right out of the, you know, went out to the audience and talked to the guy and said, well, that sounds like the ethic of the oldest profession. <laughs> and, you, you know, it, 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 it's, it's stunning, but it's, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true. So that's an excellent point. Yeah. No, and, and yeah, he, and he does. He does open with that, and I, th I think he there's 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 many many things in here that, as you said, that wow, hmm, not not sure if he would be able to say that quite that way today. Yes. Uh, so, especially being published, wasn't this oh, it was published by Free Press? So he'd have a little bit more leeway, but mm -hmm. but but yeah. not not a lot. Um, you know, the other thing, and shout out to Matthew Burgess, who sent us this incredible summary of all of Maester's books. Um, and there's five of them. I don't know if you relied on this, Ed, to do some prep work. I, I did. I, I got a few things that uh, I thought Matthew did a great job bringing out from the book. But um, it, 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 this is his best book, I think, by far. And um, I love his definition of a true professional. It's a technician who cares. Mm -hmm. You know, he says the opposite of professional is not unprofessional. It's a technician. Yes. And I've often often used that, that, that there, because there's there's a lot of stuff crossover, although I don't think I've ever seen a David Maester cite Peter Block. There is definitely some crossover in their work around some of those things. I agree. And and I and I think that that's one of them is this that there is a difference between a technician and a and a professional or what 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 Block would call a technician and a consultant. You know, the, the, and Block expresses this way. He says it's because you have uh, you, you care in equal amounts for not only the technical problem for solving the technical problem, but also the person with whom you're dealing from an emotional well-being standpoint. Right. And that that that's what a consultant does is is marry the two of those things together where technicians just care about the, the technical problem. I, you know, one of the, the stories that I would do to illustrate this on on a technician is is use something like te technical support at, say, a software company that does accounting <laughs> software. Right. Which I'll rename, and, name, right nameless. Rename, yeah. rename, you know, you get you get 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 a call from them and they'll say. Is you know it's it's taking forty hours for the I don't know the 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 the, the in, inventory report to run. It's taking forty hours for it to run, and the technical service person says, "Well, is it right?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I don't see the problem. Yes, it's problem. right. No uh, problem. What's the right. problem? It's, it's, no it's, problem. <laughs> it's, it's, it's coming, but it's taking forty hours. Well, <laughs> But it's is it right? Is it the are the numbers correct? Well, yeah, the numbers are correct, and the, I and I think I've told this joke on the show before. But my my one of my favorite jokes about this is the the guy the, the guys are in a helicopter and the and the the navigation system fails and they're yes. in this the, the the you know the the north northwest area uh, of the country and they fly they see this big tall building so they fly over the building and uh, they hold up a sign to these to these people in a conference room that uh, that that says where are we. And and the people in the conference room say, hold on a second. And they, they scribble on a piece of paper and says, you're in a helicopter. And the guy lands. He lands. The, the passengers are amazed. They're like, how is this possible? He says, well, you know, I just figured out that I've got a technically correct but completely uh, uh, insufficient answer. I had to be at the Microsoft building. <laughs> 
I love that. I love that. I absolutely love that. That's a great. That's a great adaptation of the balloon. You know, when the the balloon's lost, where am I? Oh, you must be a consultant. You yeah, give me yeah. technically correct information, but it's useless. It's useless. Useless information. <laughs> but but Maester d- does does really, I think, set that aside, and I think he does a great job of it too. And in this book, I think there are two points where he talks about surveys that he that he has done for for people where and and i don't i don't don't remember the the exact numbers ron if you have have this you might want to bring it up but half the people almost half the people ended up saying they they did they did terrible work that for for people that they didn't like right i do want to talk about that so we will we will definitely come back to that i just he he did expand a little bit on this uh what's it mean to be a you know true professional idea and i love this too and he said i believe that true professionalism means the pursuit of excellence not just competence and i and i think that is so true and he also said this and this was a big theme through his writing strict financial controls may get people into compliance but they will never inspire the extra level of intensity and dedication that creates excellence this is what's known as discretionary effort right Mm -hmm. this is the x factor in companies that that's really hard to measure and explain because even same the same factories in the same company, same culture, the same equipment will have radically different productivity numbers and all of that. Gilder talked about this in in uh, the spirit of enterprise, and he called it um, X efficiency or X productivity. I forget the or X factor, um, and that's what this is. This is that discretionary effort. You know, how far will you go to go over and above? what basic expectations are. I think, you know, the great example of this is FedEx and their their uh, Zulu Bravo Award where, you know, it, it's, people have done heroic things to get the package there on time, like, you know, rent helicopters and in snowstorms, just all sorts of just bizarre heroic mm-hmm. stories just to get a package mm-hmm. to the customer on time to keep their promise. Mm-hmm. And and they recognize this. And, and that's that discretionary effort that, you know, that's what it means to be a professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to go that extra mile and 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 re- really do what's right. Uh, ultimately, I mean that's what it, I think what it comes down to is do it doing what's right. Yeah, uh, and the other thing he says here, professionals are used to being nagged about their production levels, yet they are rarely nagged about such areas as levels of client service, supervision of junior professionals, or collaboration with each other. And and look, I I mean I put that on the business model, you know, I put mm-hmm. that on the whole hourly billing, and you know it's focus on production and efficiency, and we'll be more profitable the faster we can go and get the work done, and all of that. Maester never challenged that, which. I found I, I still find strange, but you know I do like what he says about what it means to be a professional. It's he just... certainly didn't challenge it directly, but I think one of the things that I noticed in in reviewing this book, Ron, is that and I, I guess you could you could accuse it a little being of, of being some listicles, but he, in a, in a sense he really does put put forward a lot of good questions he for, does. Firm, for for firms to ask themselves. And I wish he would have stuck to that. Rather, his, it, his later work gets into just pure listicles, right? It's just right, like right. But in this book, there are there are broad sections where he's like, and here's the ser- set of questions you should ask, and here's a set of questions. And while he doesn't outright come out and and challenge the efficiency effectiveness thing, I think his questions uh tend tend toward putting it into doubt 
if you thought about them deeply enough. Yes. And I, and I just wish he would have done that. I just wish he would have given some answers to his own questions about how things could be done different and in innovative ways. Mm -hmm. And he just never really did. Yep. Well, Ron, look at this. We're already up against our first break. Want to remind you that you can contact us by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, this the website is the soul of enterprise where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We do have a Patreon channel, patreon.com slash TSOE. And that Patreon channel is sponsored at a certain level. You can get a shout out from us like Geraldine Carter did at Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. You can find that podcast at SheThinksBigCoaching.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download Oh, oh my, my fraud. fraud. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about David Meister's book, True Professionalism. And Ed, in the second chapter, I love this. He did two surveys among professional firms. Or, well, he did a survey that asked two questions. He said, think back on all the work you've done in the past year or so and divide it into three categories. Now, this is the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. God, I love this. This is what I, this is why I do what I do. You know, that's kind of like the HSD criteria almost. Yes. The second category is it's okay. I can tolerate it. It's what I do for a living. And the third category is I hate this part. 
I wish I could get rid of this junk. And then uh, he, he gives the answers that he found in his surveys to this. But let me ask you, and then let me go through the second question. Now a second question. Think back on all the clients you have served in the past year. And again, divide them into three categories. One, I, you know, I like these people and their in industry interests me. The second category is I can tolerate these people and their business is okay, neither fascinating nor boring. Category three is I'm professional enough that I would never say this to them and I'll still do my best for them. But the, thru the truth is that they are not my kind of people and I have no interest in their industry. Now, before we give the percentages, those are great questions. They are great questions. And I, I think what, one of the things that we might look to do in, the sh in short order is, re is repeat that survey. I would be very curious as to get that, 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 that circulated out. So maybe that's something that we can, we can uh, bring on. That would be wonderful. To David, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here are the percentages he found for the first question. This is about the work you do. Mm -hmm. The people who said, uh, God, I love this, 20 to 25%. The people that said, I can tolerate it, 60 to 70%. And the people that said, I hate this part, 5 to 20%. Now, now let's just, just be clear. What he was asking you to do is to divide the work that you do into those three categories. Three categories. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, mm -hmm. and then same with the clients and here are the answers for that. Um, you know, 30 to 35% said, I like these people 50 to 60%. I can tolerate these people and five to 20%. These are not my kind of people. And he, then his conclusion to this is, I think, fabulous. He says, supposedly, professionals are among society's most bright, educated, and elite members, people who are supposed to have more career choices than anyone else. Yet they seem to be willing to accept a work life made up largely of, I can tolerate at work and clients, and they feel they cannot safely do anything about that. Mm -hmm. And look, I... I I think I'm anticipating your next question, which is, is this up or down? And I have to say that that in the last certainly two to three years, I think it's up. Yeah, I, and, and I've been thinking about that. I've really been trying to think about this. I, I would actually think it's gone up a little bit only because and I'm talking at the macro level, mm -hmm. only because we have seen the trend towards specialization. Mm hmm which almost by definition means you have some incredible right. interest in this industry and the people in it. Um, I also think technology has really helped here because it's taken out some of the just grinding. The boring stuff. Work. Yeah, the crap, predictable, ditch digging for knowledge workers type work. The bots, the but, stuff that the bots are it, taking over, Ron. Yes, but the, but the magnitude of that increase, Ed, I have no idea. And I think that's... I think that's more true of the work. And when I say up, I mean skewed toward the God, I love this. That's that's mm -hmm. what I mean. Up. Mm -hmm. then it would, I would say that those numbers are higher than the uh, I can I can tolerate this or I, I hate this. So I think the hate this has probably gone down. I would say that I think that the numbers on the customer one are probably about the same. Same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, I would have thought that maybe now with more firms thinking about their purpose, that the and and niching and specialization and all of that that might have gone up a bit in that category, but I don't know. It it it, 
be a great survey to do. It would be a great survey to do. So we should probably effort that. Once my timesheet survey is complete and in the books, we'll come back and do this one. Well. And and you know somebody and, and this is what the when he when he went out into the audience and this guy challenged this guy this is what the guy was responding to oh come on David I can't love all my customers you know mm -hmm. and he said mm -hmm. but but he said look you don't have to love every client that that's the exact point right it, it, it we have to move the bar on this because we've only got so much intellectual capacity and emotional capacity why why spend your time working with people that you don't like mm -hmm. does that make any sense yeah yeah no and 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 i've even furthered this thinking a little bit more uh since having read david maester where where i i do i think and i think we we've done a show on this when we did the show on net promoter score long 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 time ago where i talk about getting customers on the grid um, and that's mm -hmm. it's really to, to to sort of filter that out. You know, the 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 the, uh, the thing one of the one of the tools in the Net Promoter School is is this two way access where you take the Net Promoter Score of the customers, and then you take your what your opinion of them, which Reichheld says you should use profit as the proxy, but I don't think that's right, especially in a professional firm. What you should use as the y axis for professional firms is do we like these people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then if you put your customers on this grid and you find out in this the, the lower left hand side, which I call the F customers, we don't like them. They don't like us. Right. What, 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 what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing yeah. here? And, and of course, the really scary stuff, and I think Maester points this out in a different portion of the book, he says, unfortunately, the marketing that many professional firms do just filter in more F customers. Yes. It, the marketing isn't targeted for the A folks. It's targeted on the F people. And you're like, what are you doing? Filling, <laughs> filling in because it, it gets the, 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 the bottom feeders. Yep. Couldn't agree more. So that, that's a great, that's a great uh, survey. And, and um, another thing he did, Ed, was he talked about, he says, many people choose a profession, then a firm, and finally a role. I believe this is the wrong order figure out what role you want to play and then if necessary tell your firm about your decision if they don't accept it change firms don't sell buy i like mm -hmm. that i think that's fantastic advice mm -hmm. um now the problem is you know when you're coming out of college and you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed you just want the first job you get, you, you right. know, uh, and you're not really thinking about, am I going to specialize in something, tax, audit, whatever it is. Um, but if you can give that some thought, maybe with internships, um, things like that, get a feel for what you might like to go into. It's much better for you to be in command of your destiny and say, hey, I want to be tax or I want to specialize in this industry and make that part of your interview with the potential firms yeah i'm trying to remember when i did work for a, an accounting firm how that that worked because we did have people who specialized in just just doing tax but you're right i think most people just came into the firm as junior accountants and then it it got doled out as to they, you they know. go anywhere you assign them type of thing right right yeah. right yeah and and some usually i mean there's some that will find a, a place to land like that. Maybe they're doing audit for a while and figure out, hey, I don't like this. I want to move to tax or consulting or whatever. Um, but the, the, I, as much as we talk about firms providing CPE and you know taking an interest in your professional development, which they should, and I'm not mm -hmm. saying that they shouldn't, 
I still put that onus on the knowledge worker. I mean, yeah, just, sure. you know, hey, listen, this is your career. This is your life. Invest in yourself. It's always going to pay the highest return of all your investments is the mm -hmm. investment in your own intellectual capital. Right. No, nope, I agree with that. So, I agree okay, that. I know you had some places you wanted to go, so you... Yeah, I, well, let, let, let me let me j jump in, in the book to this. I think the the first place that I go because I I, I have have talked about this and updated it is, is then a chapter. I think it's twelve. Let me just double check that. Yeah, no, thirteen. I'm sorry. What kind of provider are you? And what I really mm -hmm. like about this one is is that this is talking about something that we talk about often, which is business models. Yes. And. One of the ways that he breaks this down, he he and he uses he uses the medical profession mm -hmm. as an example. He says there's two again two axes. He does do he does love the two by two. Mace yes, does, does. Yes, does love the two by two. So you know, but uh, okay, uh, who doesn't Fair love enough. the two by two? Fair enough. Yep, <laughs> it's they're pretty good too. But the the first thing he says is is do you have a standardized process or a customized process? on each one and then do you have a high degree of contact with the customer or a low degree of contact with the customer and then he says all right if you apply this model to the medical profession what you'd find is the low degree of contact standardized process in the medical profession is a pharmacist you know they're counting to 30 is really what they're doing do, do am i pull, am i pulling the right pills off the shelf putting the right number in the bottle putting the right label on it and making sure that you're getting the right stuff you know what does seinfeld say i take i take pills from a big bottle count them out into a smaller <laughs> bottle and i stand on a platform that's higher than you <laughs> there you go that is the classic New York City pharmacist. So, uh, so anyway, so that's low low degree uh, and and standardized process. Then the the high degree of customer contact, but with but also more standardized in process, is the nurse. I mean, you know, I would think like nurse in in a hospital. Now on the customized stuff, you have customized with a low degree of contact, and I do really like this example because there's a lot of humor in it, right? Which is, you know, because you have low degree of customer contact, but customized process. And then as a brain surgeon, because after all, the person you're working for is unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. And then the high degree of of customer contact but also high degree of customized process is the, the, the psychotherapist. And you, I think when people see that laid out like that and they see, oh, this is, this is all quote medicine, it's all part of the medical profession, but these are very different business models. And you, would, you can't make a profit in under one business if you're trying to do all four of these at once. It's not, it's not going to work. Yep. Yet, when you, flip this over and you say what how, what are the high degree of customized process and standardized process all of this this stuff in the accounting profession you'll find the same pattern emerges yet for some reason accountants want to do it all in one firm Mm -hmm. And lawyers, mm -hmm. too, by the way. This is not just to, yep. is limited to accountants. This is lawyers. And this is most professional organizations. This is what Tim Williams calls the, you know, the one-stop shop or the full-service firm. This is madness to think that you can possibly do this and make the business model work. And that's right. what I, I really like pointing out to people. Yeah, for sure. Because the accounting firm or the law firm that tries to be all four things, you know, the pharmacist and the brain surgeon is, is you know, using the same business model, which means they're pricing up the same, positioning it all the same. Mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't work. And I've been trying to think, you know, 
lay a, lay a concierge doctor over this or lay a direct primary care doctor over this like Dr. Paul, um, obviously he's got some pharmacist in him. Obviously he's got some nurse in him, but he's also got that that psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. So I think the business model can change the dynamics of some of these categories. But I still really like this because if you take a brain surgeon, a brain surgeon could never be in a DPC practice. Right. And not going to happen. I mean, they're going to get referrals from a DPC. Sure. But they they could never start their own because that's such a random thing, you know, like cancer or other, you know, rare diseases. Yep, exactly. So... And, and Maester does even point out that any one of these is, can, can be a very viable, sustainable, profitable model, but they require a different business model. But the, that's my problem with this. He doesn't flush that out. Hmm. He, he just doesn't do it. He, in fact, he, there's a chapter in here where he talks about um, these, these categories and then goes through the realization and the hourly billing and the, right. you know, the leverage ratio. And it's like, Oh, geez. So you're applying the same old metrics to this, this new model that, that you're advocating, or at least a new way of looking at it. So anyway, well, Ed, this is just flying by. I can't believe it, but folks would like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of me or Ed, you can do so at ask TSOE at verisage.com. Send us an email. Also give us a, a podcast rating at uh, Apple podcast. That would be wonderful. And if you write a review, we will definitely read it on the air. And also you can become a Patreon audience member, which you can check out at patreon.com slash TSOE. And that Patreon channel is now sponsored by 90 Minds. Got 90 Minds? Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
We are talking about David Meister's book, True Professionalism, The Courage to Care About Your People, Your Clients, and Your Career. And Ron, just one thing I wanted to mention before we talk about the next topic in this book, and that is that is David Meister retired in 2007 uh, or 2009, but his his website is still available and active. You can go to davidmeister.com. And one of the things that I did in preparation for this show is I, I did some searches on the site. You can't do you can't do a, a search on the site. You actually have to do your own uh, search, which you, I think you have to type site colon davidmeister.com slash. And I searched for a guy's name by a guy by the name of Ron Baker's name on this. And you, there, you have four or five significant sites on, uh, on this site, so, one, one of which is a contribution by you. But many times it's him or somebody in the comments, including me, by the way, mentioning mm-hmm. you or your book <laughs> or your books. Um, and he did some posts that we, we, we could probably talk about maybe on the bonus episode, but I will make sure to get the four posts that specifically mention Ron and myself over to Greg that we can include into the show notes so you can read through it. I think some of this stuff is still still pretty relevant. But I want to go back to the book and concentrate more on, on, on his work than our comments on it, which you can read in, at another time. But chapter 15 is, is entitled Why Merge? And he, he says in here, mergers can be successful. It's just that few of them have been, <laughs> which is pro- probably the understatement of the book. A big book, yes. <laughs> uh, for a merger to confer a competitive advantage, it must create additional benefits for customers. And I'm changing his clients to customers. Right, 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 use, right. right. Additional benefits for customers, not just the firms involved. And I have, I have said this over and over to people who have come to me for advice about when they, they, they were considering merging uh, in, the, in their organizations. And Maester then points out, I think it's this four, it's five or six types of merger. Mm-hmm. Now, the first one he calls is the menu merger. <laughs> this is a menu, it attempts to create a competitive advantage by adding additional services from the firm's offerings, thus providing the customers with broader range of effective cross-selling. <laughs> Does this work? He says, maybe. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Let me just uh, cut to the chase. Right. No, it doesn't right. work all that well. We get more and more information about this. And I'd be curious to see if he thinks that this over time, if it's also still true. The next one is the bulk merger. This is based <laughs> on the theory that you have to be big in order to be credi- credible. So it's just, and better. It's just a matter. And better, right? So this is pure, like, how do we slap all of our revenue together? It doesn't matter. No cultural fit. doesn't matter. It's, look, we have more of a pile of, of, of money to, that we can call revenue. This is one of my favorite because this is the one that affected the industry that I came out of, which is software implementation consulting the most. This is called the dots merger. This is, creates additional value be, by, by having firms in different geographic range, regions, uh, th- th- sometimes going all the way on up to global. In fact, I have written in the in the margins of this book one of the names of the firms that was doing this, that was buying uh, par- uh, software partners all over the place, and it was called Altera. All no, terror. Terror. So it's all world. Now, and I love you talking because this is about the based on the based on the 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 the, uh, the the presumption that what you need is simultaneous things to happen in different cities at exactly the same, same time. time. It's like this never happens. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? This never happens. And of course, this one has become even less important with, with the emergence of the internet and technology. The next type merger, and I love this one, this is the alchemy merger. The <laughs> alchemy merger. Based on the expectation of synergies. How about, how about that word, Ron? Oh, um, by merging, it is hoped that the firm will be able to create something new. Yeah, let's take your terrible marketing and my terrible, terrible marketing, marketing and put them together, and then we'll have better terrible marketing. Marketing. <laughs> <laughs> right and somehow we're just going to create something out of nothing and then the last one which i is the one that is by far the one that i've seen happen the most and that's the crisis merger and this is the crisis merger that fits none of these types it's based on this fact that the single greatest benefit derived from the professional firm merger is the creation of immense disruption within the merged firms so in other words we can get finally get rid of fred because fred becomes duplicated in the new firm so <laughs> we don't have the guts to fire fred fire we don't so we'll just go we'll go merge so with another go, firm to do it yeah we'll go merge with another fred and then there'll be another moron over there who's not as bad at or, or who's who's not as bad as Fred, and then we'll kick Fred out. <laughs> I know that's a great and and you know it, I think these are spot on as well. Maybe that one has diminished a little bit. The dots ones, like you and I putting pins on the map, where our, right, where our right. listeners are. But um, one thing that yeah, he didn't really tackle this much in here, but just the whole the the blending of the cultures when mm -hmm. two firms come together. Um, I mean, that's a huge thing, and that's really hard to do. And one of the telltale signs of this, Ed, is when you go into an office that might have been part of a firm that you merged with or even that you acquired, mm -hmm. you'll still see the old coffee cups of that old <laughs> firm. Now, to me, that's a leading indicator that there's cultural issues here. That there's still cultural issues. Yeah. Absolutely. Because the people, the people refuse to give up their old coffee cup. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, so, but that's, that's a good one though. Um, the, another thing that I, that I thought was really interesting, whereas when he pointed out that, um, let me see, he, uh, he talked about dynamos, cruisers, and losers. <laughs> at any given stage of your professional life, your performance can be that of one of these three, you know, dynamo, cruiser, or loser. Dynamos are always working to learn something new and are continuing, continually adding to their skills and knowledge. I mean, we have examples of this. Hector would be a dynamo. Mm -hmm. Dan mm -hmm. Morris, dynamo. Paul O'Byrne, Paul Kennedy, all those, all those folks are dynamos. Um, he says cruisers are certainly not dynamos. They are not going anywhere. They'll do well for a time living off their existing skills, but they are not working to expand their abilities. They have a job, not a career. Mm. And I would say not a calling. Mm -hmm. um, cruising translate, translates to dedicated, high-quality work. We all cruise some of the time. Uh, and, of course, the, the losers kind of speak for themselves. But, but my point is, no matter what label you use, you know, the minders, finders, and grinders, right? That's another yeah, popular that's another label. One. The farmers. Uh, the the, the yeah. hunters, the farmers, the gatherers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, everybody knows what category everybody else is in. Mm -hmm. and, you do, and you know that just because of your professional judgment, your experience, and your wisdom. You don't have to look at a timesheet. You don't have to look at financial data. You don't have to look at the clients that they brought in. You don't need any of that. Everybody knows who's a dynamo, who's a cruiser, and who's a loser mm -hmm. without looking at any data. Yeah. Yep. So, 
But uh, and, and, and then he put numbers around this, too. He said, he, he, he's, again, he did surveys. He said, wide variety of firms, professionals report to me that they would place 10 to 20% in the dynamo category. And they would put 5 to 15% in the losing category. Now, I, you know, you got 15% of your team members are losers. <laughs> what does that even say? I, you know, yeah. that kind of blows in 65 to 85% in the cruising group. Um, so I just thought, I, I just really kind of like that. I mean, I know it's unfair to categorize people like that. It's, al it's almost as bad as the uh, millennial, you know, generational thing. But, but this one, I think, is more specific, and I do think it's got some utility. Yep. Yeah. Well, we only have a few minutes left in this segment, Ron, but I wanted to get your reaction to this. And this is in uh, in chapter 20, which is about measuring your mar marketing success. Oh, yes. OK, go for it. Uh, so this is this is from the, the the last page of this, and this is figure twenty two or dot two, which is which of these statistics do you monitor? But are you ready for this, Ron? Mm -hmm. The first one listed: recurring business, what he calls recurring yeah. business ratio. What percent of your revenues will occur next year without any effort? An effort. Yep. So what? A, there, there is that. Is that the 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 beginning the the nascent subscription model? No, this is a nod of something that was a big big deal in the '90s, which was loyalty economics. Because mm -hmm. of Fred Reich, Fred Fred Reichheld wrote that book, Loyalty Economics, and some other ones. This was mm -hmm. before his MPS work, um, and he he laid out in that book that the the significant driver <laughs> of profitability uh, is not pricing, like you and you and we, uh, me say it is customer retention because mm -hmm. to acquire a new customer costs anywhere from seven to 25 times more depending on the industry you're in rather than, yep, ke than yep. keeping one and and that's what this is because there's you know obviously there's no nod here to annual recurring revenue or anything like that but it, it this does come back big this this goes front and center in the subscription economy for sure that goes right, right back to the top even dare i say it ed even above pricing. Well, and, yes, and and it's, so that's the first one listed. But if you look at some of these these others that are listed, he does talk about new new customer ratio, so which would be the stuff and client uh, client retention. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. So th which is churn. And he talks about the new service ratio. Yeah, what that's the innovation revenue mm -hmm. idea. You know, we want fifty percent of our revenue for come from services that we didn't offer three years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. But let me get your reaction to this because this is on the couple, few pages before that chart. Many firms can readily tell you their marketing expenditures. After all, that's cash, but not the hours spent thereon. Yet it is the hours invested and not the cash spent that determines that is the determinative of marketing success. That's ludicrous. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely, you can spin your wheels marketing, spend an enormous amount of hours on it and not get a darn thing or get very little. I mean, this just shows you how prevalent the hourly rate, the labor, the hours, the inputs tied to the output thinking is. Through. And it's not just this. I got another example on this too. Just I'll give you one more. Um, professionals and professional firms should stop thinking about billable and non-billable hours. And I got all excited. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and then he yeah. says, and start thinking about thinking three about new categories, income time, investment time, and individual time. 
So you're still thinking about time. Come on. Yes. Come yeah. on. It's, it's outcomes. It's outputs. It's results. It's, you know. Uh, again, he we're is, just falling. He, he assumes it, he assumes the outcome is going to be positive based on oh well if you if you put you're your a professional butt in the seat for, if you if it, you put your butt in the seat for twenty hours of CPE you're gonna you're gonna get get better and as we all know that most of the time CPE people are just like I just need to get this done and it, right. the old, that that's 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 another survey that we need to do because uh, look I've I've done a lot of stuff with with CPA Academy and all this there's a good portion of those people who are just there for the CPE oh. and have 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 absolutely in, intention of learning nothing. nothing. They don't. That's, they don't want to learn anything. If it if they happen to learn, it's on accident. Absolutely, <laughs> and that's been true for when when there was no online earning. There'd be live people, and you always knew because all the you know the people sitting in the back with their laptop. And I'd walk to the back during the break, and you'd see all the solitaire games up, or you know, or, a spreadsheet. Or I remember or, reading a newspaper, it, just sitting it, in the back it, reading a newspaper yeah, or a book. A One book, gal yeah. was knitting. You know, my brother came to one of my programs and the gal was sitting there knitting. Interesting thing. She was participating, though, which I thought, yeah, I don't multitask like that. But <laughs> we worked for her. All right. Well, up against our last break, want to remind you, you can contact us through that email. Ask TSOE at Verisage.com. Rate this podcast dot com slash TSOE where you can guess what? rate this podcast uh please do that we love to see ratings we do read them from time to time when we do get those uh reviews but right now a word from our sponsor and my employer sage follow us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download... Oh, oh my, my fraud. fraud. You 
were tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about David Meister's book, True Professionalism. And Ed, I just want to know, uh, let people know, since they've heard that commercial with Greg Kite, uh, he is now a notary republic in the great state of Utah. So if you need any documents forged, you have a contact. So just so you know. Um, okay, so Meister says a professional should achieve a client's goals at minimum possible cost. Don't be efficient. Don't waste resources. And and no doubt about it, right? First, do no harm, all of that, you know, diagnose before you prescribe, blah, blah, blah. But once again, never talks about the overriding model of the billable hour and the timesheet that Mm -hmm. that keeps people from, you know, not wasting time and resources. Um, The other thing that I really liked about this book is in the last chapter, he advocated an unconditional guarantee. And he he's very passionate about you have no business getting new customers if you can't delight your existing ones. And the the way one of the ways that to ensure that you do that is to offer an unconditional back guarantee. And he cited the Christopher Hart book, you know, the mm-hmm. extraordinary guarantees. And I think I had already read that book. It wasn't the first time that I saw that. It was that, the first time that I, I saw that, that you yep. saw that book. Yep. yep. Uh, and that is still a fantastic book. He has updated it, and he's also done some uh, work. I know he's got a couple Harvard business case studies or articles on um, guarantees in professional firms. Um, the other thing he talked about in this book was what do you want to do? When, it, you know, Don't think about your career over the lifetime, like when you're in the 20s and you think, oh, I want to go into tax or I want to specialize in this industry. He goes, just try and look three or five years out. Don't try and look your whole professional career out. It's too mm-hmm. far. You, you're, you're probably going to want to move into different areas. And Podcast host was not it, on my 20-year-ago uh, list, Ron. It wasn't on Exactly. There. Exactly. <laughs> Author wasn't on my list, um, you know, when I was in college or even right out. Uh, and Dan Morris is a great example of this. And again, we all know Dan has ADD. I'm sure of it. But And I think I've talked about this before. But since I've known Dan, I think I met him in 1996. Um he has specialized in, I can name at least 12 things. And I mean, significantly <laughs> complex issues, which now, you know, it deal with international tax structures and business structures. But his attitude is, his philosophy is, you need one year to get excited and climb down the learning curve to master the topic. And then in the second year, in that master, as, as you mastered it, you're going to monetize it. In the third year, maybe into the fourth year, you're going to still monetize it, but you're also going to groom your replacement and start transitioning out to a new area. Mm-hmm. Dan's done that since I've known him. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes he's done it quicker than three years, <laughs> um, but he's done it. And I love that. The other thing Maester pointed out in this book was the donkey strategy, which was the first time I encountered that term, which was, you know, we think we can work harder by carrying a bigger load, mm-hmm. which, of course, is the hourly billing model, you know, never got to the 
the root cause of the donkey strategy is the billable hour model in the timesheet. Um, and he also pointed out that what you do with your billable time, again, here's the time thing again, but, mm -hmm. but I do like this. What you do with your billable time determines your current income. What you do with your non-billable time determines your future. Mm -hmm. So invest in yourself, you know, invest in continuous yourself, learning yeah. and all that. And he was also really big. And, and I think this is so true that you can have all the financial controls you want, but the social controls from your peers, peer pressure, esteem, uh, you know, reputation and all of that dwarfs financial controls, carrots mm -hmm. and sticks, you know, do this and you'll get that. Don't do this. You'll get that. Um, but, you know, we all want to be what's Russ say, you know, Adam Smith, we, we, we want to be, be loved and thought of as lovely, lovely. So social controls are far more powerful than financial controls. And he also pointed out that competitive advantage isn't the ability to hire better people. It's the ability to develop them. And yeah. that is really true, especially today. That lesson needs to be come back in full force. Um, and then he said, you know, Unfortunately, rather than being good at change, most firms are resistant to it. So yeah. I, I just yeah. thought those were really, really good. <laughs> and, have a and have a specialization in being resistant to that change. You know, I wonder, Ron, how, how much of this, because I, I think that toward the end of his career, especially with his book, Strategy and the Fat Smoker, which I think is his second best book, honestly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, uh, he, I think he was coming around more and more on the billable hour being a problem, but he never said it outright. And I just wonder if he just could, couldn't go there or wouldn't go there. I just don't know. I, but yeah. I, and and I, I would be curious to ask him. I, I, we should have maybe asked him on the show. We didn't reach out to him, but I, I just respect him in his retirement from, yes. from the, yes. you know. So uh, I did. I, I do remember talking to him in the hallway at the AICPA about the issue. And he just said, look, it's just not my area. I know that you're involved in this and, you know, I'll let you do it. Okay. I would guess fair that. enough. I guess yeah, fair it, enough. It is. <laughs> it is. It, it's just one of those things where, you know, when you have that prominent of a profile, you probably don't want to go around offending people. Yeah, that could be, too. That could be too. Well, the last thing I just wanted to mention it, th that impacted me, I, I put like a triple asterisk in, uh, on this, and this is this is from Chapter 16, the Adaptive Firm. He said the, stri the, str the strategic challenge for professional firms is not to forecast a future, but to ensure that the firm is effective at adapting to and otherwise responding to an already observable market changes wherever they may be. I did like that that thinking because I, I do think that one of the keys to strategy is adaptation. Uh -huh. it, it, it is to, is to you know it, it, and it's really this hard balance between not being caught up in oh squirrel <laughs> <laughs> and the latest thing so so some focus and on be, being willing to be adaptive and i think that 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 people who build build adaptation into their strategy often often do better at executing on strategy yeah good point one last thing ed just this is from our, our colleague our late colleague paul o'burn I heard Paul Kennedy recently on a podcast where he reminded me of this. Paul Kennedy, his philosophy, his whole philosophy of business, let's just help people. Let's just help. I mean, that's it. That's it. it, it we can complicate it with all this stuff, but let's just help people. And that was his philosophy. And that is a true professional. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Uh, shout out to the late, great Paula Byrne. All right, Ron, next week, what do we got? We got a mystery box, Ed. We, we don't even know what's in it. 
I know. We've got so many shows that are already laid out, but for some reason next week we've got a hole in the schedule, so we've got to figure out something between then and now. We will do something great. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com, and we'll have full show notes up there. And if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.